All right. Can everybody hear me? All right. I'm not going to lie, I'm usually not nervous at all, but I'm a little bit nervous. <clears throat> My name's Marcus Pitts. I am a, um, well, as they said, a graduate 2009 of Sterling College. Go Warriors. Um, but that's only partially true um, because for me, um, most of you guys know my mother, Michelle Hall, from the financial office. Um, I am the black sheep of the family. Uh, in 2009, I walked across the stage as a graduate of Sterling College to find inside of my diploma uh, a request that I come back and attend for another semester to come to chapels and convocations because I never came to any of them. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I'm going to give you guys some identifiers on who I am so that you guys can understand why I'm up here. Um, my name is Marcus Pitts, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm a drug addict. My name is Marcus Pitts, and I'm a person in long-term recovery. And what that means for me is that I have not found it necessary to take any drugs or to drink any alcohol since January 18th of 2018. That's 1,728 days in a row, including weekends and holidays, that I have not found it necessary to use any mind-altering substances. Now, there are going to be um, some people in this room that probably heard that I was coming, that probably were around here whenever I was here, and were probably like, what are we doing? <laughs> because I can assure you that the, uh, the person that I was back then um, is not the person that I am today. So what I'm here to talk to you guys about is redemption in Jesus Christ's name. You see, whenever I came to Sterling College, um, I had a pretty big blocker up from a relationship with Christ because whenever I was younger, I grew up in Sterling and I can remember going to, um, going to school and, 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 and being pretty popular. I, I have no uh, real significant childhood trauma or anything like that, but I can remember going to church and I can remember um, it felt like the preacher was speaking right to me, right in my pew, and he was giving me all these rules about what you have to do in order to get in heaven and what you can't do in order to get in heaven. And I remember being about 11 or 12 years old and I was, I was doing probably a lot of those things that I wasn't supposed to do. So immediately um, I, had to, I had a blocker up um, and I kept that up all the way through um, most of my life. Um, so, you know, I, I come to you guys as a, uh, as a changed man. Um, I come to you as a, a, a present father in my children's lives. I come to you as a, a better son to my mother and my father. You know, the greatest gift of my recovery um, for my relationship with my mom is, is that she doesn't have to worry about getting a phone call in the middle of the night that her son's in the morgue or her son's in prison again. So, um, you know, I, I came to you guys and I have a, a message for, um, for you using a couple of verses. And I, I first want to thank Jose for, for allowing me to be here and, and Dennis Dutton um, for pushing for this. I think it's been a, about four to six months in the making where I've just been nervous as heck coming and, and sharing with you guys. Um, 
But usually, I, I've been asked to speak in a lot of places, but usually it's to people who suffer from substance use disorder uh, that are at rock bottom, so I can really relate to them a lot better than I can you guys. Um, but I, I do have a message that I can relate with you guys because I was sitting where you guys were sitting, um, and, and I, I was so far disconnected from Jesus that I'm, I'm hopeful that some of you guys that may be wondering or questioning where you're at um, with your faith, maybe it's too late for you or whatever your brain is telling you that, that maybe we can, we can scramble that up and, and let you realize that it's never too late um, to find and walk uh, with a relationship with Christ. Um, the, the first verse was, was Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, and for me, uh, before I, I spoke with Jose, um, I, I knew that, that, it, that it read, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And man, for somebody like me, that sounded really, really good, you know, because I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I need. Because that leading up to, to that point before I read that, you know, every, there was no hope. There was no future. It was always, you know, everything was done on my watch, on, on my way, and, and I was the boss, and, and nobody could tell me any different, and things just compiled and kept getting worse and worse and worse. So that verse had a lot of meaning to me when I first got here and started developing this relationship with Christ because I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, and so I was speaking with Jose and, and telling him that I was going to share that, um, that verse, and, and he goes, well, do you know what that means? And my ego got in the way, and I was like, of course I do. You know, I've been, I'm almost five years sober. I know exactly what that means. And he goes, well, do you know who wrote it? And do you know the story behind it and, and anything like that? And I, and I told him, I said, you know, no, I, I really don't. And I had this message in my mind of what I was going to come share with you guys um, about my alcoholism and drug addiction and, and what decisions that you make today can really affect your tomorrow and stuff like that. And I found myself in the Word because of what Jose had said to me. And I found out that Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah was... Um, you know, he wrote this letter in, in response to a, another prophet that was lying to the people that were exiled to Babylon, that, that, that God was coming and was going to save them immediately, and that wasn't the case. You know, the case, the reality is, is that, that these are the plans that the Lord has for you, but it doesn't mean it's going to take you away from, from turmoil and trouble and, and all of these things that you're going to go through in your life. What it means is that there's going to be purpose and value in everything that happens, and we're not supposed to understand every bit of it, but what we can do is live in, in the faith and knowing that that is true. And so just that little bit a couple days ago where I, where I recalibrated and, and, and sought more information about what this verse really means has completely transformed the way that I look at it. Because what it tells me now is that the reason that I started drinking whenever I was 15 years old and the very first time I ever drank, I blacked out. Uh, I was an abnormal drinker from the jump, and the reason that I didn't start using drugs until I was 30 years old um, and became addicted immediately and, and went into complete drug addiction psychosis and, and became an a active criminal in my community that I loved and cared about so much, and I became everything that I detested in a human being. I would lie, I would cheat, I would steal, I would, wouldn't care who I was hurting, who I was affecting. I didn't care about being a father, a brother, a son, uh, uh, anything. I didn't care about anything other than my next high. And the reason that I had to experience that is because my purpose is to help other people going through the exact same thing that I did. And for me, that verse means so much more to me now. And I can't thank Jose enough for checking my ego and letting me know that you don't know it all. You might be about five years sober, but really that's not that long. 
Considering I started drinking when I was 15 and was a heavy, heavy, heavy drinker my entire life up until this point, five years is nothing. But what I can tell you is, is that the reality of my life is, is that I, I am to blame for all of the mistakes that I have made. And I am to blame for not seeking the one thing that was always there for me and with me. And that's my relationship with God. So, I'll talk to you a little bit about um, my experience at, at Sterling, right? So, Sterling's where I grew up. Um, I, I, was in, I, I went to high school. I met Dennis and Betsy Dutton. They were my, um, always my cheerleaders. They, they had me in all the plays, debate, forensics. I did all the sports. Um, you go to a small enough school, you get to do all of them. Um, so I did, and it kept me really busy. Um, my purpose was to make other people happy. My purpose was to um, be cool and popular and be able to get along with everybody. And I was a chameleon, and it, it really was a successful recipe for me because I was born with blonde hair, blue eyes, and dimples, um, which ironically now I still have kind of blonde hair. It's thinning and almost gone. Uh, I still have the dimples and I can't see very good, but they're still blue. Uh, and then I suffer from alcoholism and drug addiction, right? So God's a funny guy. But uh, the reality is, is that it really worked out for me for a long time to where I could get by and not hurt a lot of people um, and, and be able to um, be pretty successful at, at what I thought my purpose was, which was, was to make other people happy. There were little telltale signs about um, you know, maybe some, some decisions and behaviors that I had that was going to probably uh, be, be pretty well connected to my substance use disorder. I would kind of steal, you know, from my family. I say kind of, and I did. Um, you know, my sister would have like a little lockbox with like 50 cent pieces in it. And for some reason, my brain always told me I needed some of those. And then I would lie about having them, um, you know. And this was, you know, all the way from my childhood, you know, up until I, I got clean and sober, there was, there was those, little, those little signs that said, you know, there's something not quite right here, you know, and what I realized today is, is that I didn't have a direction or a purpose for a moral compass, right? Like my, 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 my compass was, was sitting here in my hand and it's supposed to be facing north, but it seemed that I had a little magnet underneath it and it just had it going in all these different directions. And so um, I didn't really get in a whole lot of trouble um, while I was in school, but when, like I said, when I was 15 years old, we had a new student that, that came to Sterling High School and he was from Newton, Kansas, and that was a big city. So I was like, man, I'm going to hang out with that guy. And, uh, and, and him and I, we, we hit it off and we became really good friends and we went back to Newton to stay with his family one night and that was the first, first experience that I got to have, you know, with, with drinking. And I'd like to sit here and tell you that, um, you know, my brain tells me that the cool thing would be like, I drank some Everclear and then I, you know, I was just, it was the most heavy stuff that you could ever drink and then I blacked out and it was, you know, all this crazy, like there's fights and stuff, but the reality is it's probably like Mike's Hard Lemonade. Uh, and maybe like six Zimas, who knows, but the reality is, is that I woke up the next morning, and I didn't remember anything from the night before, you know, and I was 15 years old, uh, and I woke up, and I looked next to me, and it was the cutest girl from the party, and, and that was my aha moment, that I had arrived. She told me how funny I was, and how, how much fun that we had, and even though I didn't have any recollection of any of it, it seemed like this is what I need to be involved in, and so from 15 on, 
Um, I didn't really become like a, a, a hardcore alcoholic, but on the weekends, um, we always found time to drink. Um, I could remember playing basketball, and we had practice on New Year's Day. My coach was real slick like that. He always made us practice on New Year's morning, um, and I could remember just throwing up over and over again from doing all the, the running and stuff that we had to do because I, I just... I had all of these signs that told me you shouldn't be doing this, and I had that little voice inside of my head that all of you guys have, which I like to call God now, uh, telling me not to do these things, but I just never paid no attention to it. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I graduated high school and, and had pretty decent grades. Um, my sister is also a graduate of Sterling College, and she was always way better at everything than I was. Um, so drinking helped with that too, because then I didn't have to really compare myself, because we weren't even comparable, because she didn't drink. Uh, so uh, I was always better at that than she was, is what I, I thought. Um, but the reality is, is that um, I was always comparing my insides to everybody's outsides. And whenever you do that and you don't have anything to kind of give you a guide on which direction you should be going, it makes for um, a pretty rough go of things. So I graduated from high school and I went to Emporia State. Uh, I went there because it was a seven to one girl to guy ratio and um, that seemed like a good idea for me. And um, I went there on a theater scholarship. I think I went to maybe two classes before I joined a fraternity. Um, and then I got a job, and I was just basically drunk the whole time that I was at Emporia State. So I flunked out. My mom got mad at me, so I, <laughs> I had to come back to Sterling to live, and, uh, and I continued to work and, and didn't do any schooling. Um, I was working at the Buckle in Hutchinson, Kansas, and I met a girl. Um, whenever I was 19 years old, I, I um, got her pregnant. And we had a little girl. Her name is Madeline. She's 17 years old now, which is insane to me. Um, but she's 17, and, and she lives in Wichita. Um, but when she was born, I decided I needed to go back to school because um, I'd gotten in some trouble with the uh, job. I was taking things out the back door that I shouldn't have been. They had really nice watches that I didn't want to pay for. Um, but we worked out a deal where I didn't get in too much trouble, like kind of a little slap on the wrist type thing, and I was, I was back, back ready for school. Uh, right before that, though, I can tell you that my family, we went on a, uh, an Alaskan cruise. I don't know if any of you guys have been on that. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a really neat experience, so I'm told, but I don't remember any of it because um, I was blackout drunk the entire time because you only have to be 18 years old in Canada uh, to drink. So, you know, there were some more signs there that I was, I was not making good life decisions. And then five days before we left on that cruise, I'd gotten my first DUI. Uh, that was the first real significant trouble that I'd ever gotten in uh, where I had to go call my family from jail for them to come get me. Um, so got a slap on the wrist there. I don't even think I ended up losing my license. The cop didn't show up to the hearing or something, but it just, it, these things were just working out in my favor. So I thought, you know, no big deal. Uh, I came to Sterling College. I wanted to come here because it was the inaugural season. Is, is there anybody on the golf team in here? Nice. So I, I joined the golf team. I was in the inaugural golf, golf team. Um, for, for Sterling College, some of my friends, and we had like a bunch of people that came from overseas. It was just this huge group, and we had all these promises that we were going to go to Ireland and do all of these cool, crazy things and play all these awesome golf courses, which we did. Um, it, was, it was really neat. Um, and right before school started, and we had this big assembly in here in this very room. Uh, we had, I lived off campus, 
right? So cool, yeah. So that was awesome uh, for me at the time. Um, but we had a big party. And some people told, uh, so I got called into the athletic director, which then was Andy Lambert, and my golf coach was in there, and I got suspended for the entire semester of golf. So there we go. That's my first experience with Sterling College, um, but that did not stop me from having parties because I lived off campus. There were not very many other people that lived off campus, and um, so on Monday nights, the football team came over and we played beer pong. On Tuesday nights, the baseball team came over, and we played beer pong. On Wednesday night, the uh, soccer team came over, we played beer pong. On Thursday night, it was the volleyball team, and then the women's soccer team, and then, then, and then so on and so on. So, so we had all of these days set up at my house, which we called the 19th hole. <laughs> Neat. Um, and we had all these dates where everybody would come over to drink. And all of those dates, I drank. And all of those days, you know, they would drink once a week. Um, but I was drinking seven days a week. Um, it was not a recipe for good things to happen for me. Um, it, it was a, a spiraling deal. I remember going to class sometimes, not very often. Professor Kwa can uh, speak to that. Um, I just, I was making really, really bad choices, um, but I was really, really likable, and I had not gotten in a ton of trouble at that point, so um, really I kind of skated through, and the reason I'm telling you guys this is because in my brain that entire time I had, um, I had this voice telling me that I wasn't making good choices. I had this little voice that was, that told me that something was off and something was wrong, and I just, I kept shoving that to the side, so I'm hopeful that if any of you guys are, are going through or experiencing any of that type of stuff, that, that maybe you, you, you decide to choose to talk to somebody um, about that, and, and you don't have to continue to do those things, because substance use disorder is a very serious and prevalent thing. How many of you in here have family or, or friends that are, are experiencing addiction and alcoholism in, in their lives and being affected by it? Show of hands. Yeah, they keep going up. So... Um, it used to not get talked about a lot, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that I get to share my experience with it because there is hope in the future of it. There is, there is uh, redemption, you know, through Jesus that that, that stuff can be um, absolved from your life. So um, anyway, I, uh, the other part about Sterling College is I was on the debate team. I don't know if uh, Ken Troyer is in here or not, um, but he, uh, he was the coach of Lions and I went to Sterling. Uh, when I was in high school, and we were always dueling. It was a Sterling and Lions always competition, and uh, I won a lot of state championships and, and stuff like that, and Troyer then became the debate coach here at Sterling College whenever I was here, and I was in his class, argumentation and debate, and I remember like it was yesterday because I was failing, absolutely failing, and, um, and he goes, you know, I think the only way for you to pass this is if you join the debate team, and I said, well, I'm not doing that. You know, I got too many, I got too many people. Every night I'm busy with a different, you know, school, you know, part of the school with drinking at my house. Um, but it was, a, it was a good deal for me, so I did. I joined the debate team. Um, is there any debaters and forensicers in here? Nice. Awesome. So um, Troyer helped me maintain 
a level of responsibility to where I didn't completely lose everything that I had going in my life um, because he had me do that. I, it kept me busy, you know, on, on the weekends and things like that and, and, and held me accountable, uh, which I found to be very valuable for me later on in life was accountability. Um, but that, uh, that just kind of sums up my, my Sterling College career is that I, I ended up um, passing enough classes to where the leadership of Sterling College was like, we can finally get this kid out of here. Let's move on, right? And, uh, and so I, I walked across the stage in 2009. Um, and up until this point, I was never um, a, a drug user by any stretch. I, I dabbled with, with painkillers from time to time, but they were legal. Um, you know, and, and when I walked across the stage, um, we had some friends that came from Chicago, and one of them was an off-duty police officer, but he was a friend of one of my friends, and he gave me a couple Xanax pills, and he said, take these if you're hungover in the morning before you go and walk across the stage. Um, so I did. I took those two, and I do not remember walking across the stage. My poor mother, uh, there's pictures of her with me walking like this uh, across the stage, and she's leading me. Um, and talk about uh, complete fail uh, for one of the most, you know, supposed to be happy days of, of your life. Um, so I was an abnormal drug user from the jump as well, um, and that's just the reality for me. Um, I got to sit down, and I found in my diploma where they asked me to come back to do some, some chapels and convocations, um, so I did that, and then I come to find out later that I was three credits short because I failed statistics, um, and so by then, by the time I figured all of that stuff out, I had gotten a, I had gotten a good job. So I was like, it's fine. I don't need to finish that. I never really finished anything in my life anyway. Um, so no big deal. So at this point I, I had gotten a new job and, and I was working, uh, for JKM Chemicals. Um, I was running their production and, um, I was still getting in trouble by showing up late to work because of drinking and all of that stuff. So I had been given my first real ultimatum was like, either you're going to quit drinking or you're going to get fired, right? So I was like, okay, no problem. I'm going to quit drinking. So then I went to see a doctor and I told the doctor I had some back pain. And so the doctor said, okay, well, well, I have something for back pain. And, um, and so I was put on, I was prescribed, um, 240 dilated eight milligram, uh, pills a month. Um, and that really started the uh, cycle of, of drug abuse in my life. Um, you know, the, the reality is, is that a lot of you are so young and, and not, had not experienced certain things in your lives that you don't, you don't have to worry about it. And I was the same way. I didn't really see that there was a problem when there actually was a problem. But again, a good indicator for you all is, is that little voice inside of your head um, that's, that's telling you the difference between right and wrong. Um, sometimes that can get cloudy. It does to me still to this day, but, um, you know, these are the, these are the things that can happen in, in day-to-day -day life, um, that, that just kind of knock you out of nowhere. So, um, that, that started my cycle of, of drug abuse. I lost my job. I started losing everything. Um, by the time it was all said and done, I have a, a slide up here and you can see it's, it, it looked even crazier whenever it was on my phone, but I'm super skinny in this picture. This is me at the age of 30. Um, I had been cut, not, cut off from painkillers, and, and, and my doctors quit prescribing me um, everything. I didn't have any doctors anymore. I didn't have a job. I didn't have insurance. I didn't have anything. Uh, I had found methamphetamine uh, at the age of 30 was whenever I started using methamphetamine. Um, <clears throat> methamphetamine took everything from me. Um, 
I really didn't have a whole lot anyway because of the way that I was living um, and being so disconnected from God, but I lost all of my friends. I was, I just, uh, like I said, became everything I detested in a human being. And uh, the reason I wanted to show that picture was because it's just, it, it takes everything. And, and I, in, in that picture, I didn't even notice that my life was in complete shambles. I didn't even notice all the people that I'd been hurting. Um, but with methamphetamine, for me, became criminal activity. Um, I was in a complete drug-induced psychosis, um, and, I, and, I, and I just started doing illegal stuff. So um, I, don't, I don't really share a whole lot of that type of stuff with, with you guys. Now, if I was sitting in a room full of alcoholics and drug addicts, I could do that so that they could relate to me. But the reality is I just became a very bad person, right? And, um, and I hurt a lot of people, um, but I found myself after this uh, in, in Johnson County Jail, which is in Kansas City, and I was at my rock bottom, and I opened a book there, and the first, first thing I opened to it said, stop asking everybody to pray for you and pray for yourself. And I realized at that moment, everybody that had been praying for me and cared about me up until this point, the Dennis Duttons, the, my moms, the, the people that never gave up on me had been praying for me the entire time, and that carried me through, you know? And I realized then that I needed to pray for myself because there had to be something different, something better out there for me. And I just didn't know what that was. But I was at rock bottom. I made a phone call to every person. I have an eidetic memory, so I have a lot of phone numbers memorized. And I was sitting in Johnson County Jail, and I called every single one of them. I'd say there's probably about 25 that I have memorized. And not one person picked up. That was January 17th of 2018. I got out of there and I, I checked myself into, uh, into rehab, um, and that's where my journey started. How many of you guys ever heard of Oxford House? Oxford House is a sober living house, and it's, 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 it's self-run, it's, it's uh, democratically run, there's no boss, it's not like a halfway house or anything like that, it's just like we, get, we rent single-family homes and we put you know, anywhere between 6 and 12 of us uh, alcoholics and drug addicts that are trying to do better and be better, um, and, and we, we, ha we have sober living houses where we hold each other accountable with uh, drug tests and, and, and going to, to meetings and getting a sponsor and doing all of those types of things that, that help you make better choices with your life. Um, so shortly after I, I had decided that I wanted to be sober, I got into an Oxford house, and, uh, and, and it was a game changer for me. Uh, there are 3,600 Oxford houses across the world uh, with over, I think, 26 or 27,000 beds available um, to people who are, are wanting to recover from alcoholism and drug addiction. And, and so for me, I was, I was off to the races. This was where I needed to be. I, I found myself in a position to help other people, and I felt like that was my purpose, right? I started working my steps through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which the purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous is to help you uh, develop a relationship with your higher power, and for me, that's Jesus Christ. So uh, I was 10 months sober, and I had a whole bunch of court cases that I had to go face, and I was 10 months sober. I just got done working my steps. I felt really connected to God. I finally said, yep, this is what I want to do, and I was so busy. I was working at a golf course. Everything was going awesome, and I went to court one day. My mom was in there with me. It was a woman judge, a woman prosecuting attorney, and then my attorney, which was another woman. It was me in there. I had blue eyes, blonde hair. Everything's good. This is going to go great. Everything's awesome, and the judge said, you can sit down for eight months, Mr. Pitts. Ten months sober, doing everything I was supposed to be doing, and I got sat down in county jail for eight months. And it was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. The first thing that I did whenever I got in there is I didn't say, I'm giving up, like, screw this, this is 
no good as I opened the Bible. And I, I turned to Jonah 2.7. And Jonah 2.7, what I read in there was, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And Jose said, do you know what that means? <laughs> I said, yeah, Jose, I know what that means. He goes, do you know what that means? I said, no. What it meant to me then was like, hey, you probably should have, you know, just said screw it and, and, and go back to doing what you knew best. But you didn't. You remember the Lord. The first thing I opened was the Bible, which means that my relationship with God had been working. I started listening to the little voice inside of my head. And Jonah 2.7, whenever he says that, what he's talking about is, is that sometimes we get away and we stray away from the Word and we stray away from, from making good decisions and stuff and we go back to the basics. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And so for those eight months, I spent seeking and finding. I read as many books as I could find on the New Covenant. I read the Bible from front to back, which still confuses me. And so I keep seeking and I keep finding but what I can tell you is, is that there's nothing that you can go through that, that is so deep and so dark that you can't come back from. I'm 37 years old and I was just baptized in January. And it was the coolest thing that had ever happened to me. Until this last Sunday. I got to dip my son, who's nine years old, when he got baptized. Because that's what Jesus does for me. 18-time convicted felon. Registered drug offender. Exiled from Sterling, Kansas. Four and a half years ago. Asked to come speak to the students of Sterling College. That's what Jesus does for me. You see, I suffer from a condition which there's no cure. But what I get is a daily reprieve contingent upon my spiritual maintenance. If you are spiritually fit, you will meet everything and have everything that you need to succeed. No matter how hard it is, no matter what you're up against, it doesn't matter. What I can tell you is, is that whenever I was in treatment, I had a counselor that said, what's the one thing that will take you back out to drinking or using? I said, nothing. Nothing's going to do it. And he said, no, it's got to be one thing, right? And I said, okay, well, if I, if, if I lose my mom or if I lose my kids, then I go back to drinking. And he said, now, how disrespectful is that? And that changed my life. You see, those little moments, those little behaviors that I had that told me that I was an alcoholic and a drug addict, I have those same identifiers today for the opposite. To remind me that when my soul faints within me, you remember the Lord. Because my purpose today, and that's what I've been in pursuit of this entire time, is to share the message of hope. Because hope turns into faith. And faith turns into a better life. Thank you for having me. This has been, this has been one of the greatest rewards that I've ever been given in, in my little over four and a half years of recovery. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you.